Good, how are you? Very well. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to Dunsun. Thoughts and opinions expressed on Dunsun are not those of Radio Free Brooklyn. They may not even be our own. We just say shit. And if you'd like to say shit, uh, I guess email me since the phone isn't working at dunsunstorytelling at gmail.com. With us today is Brian Marks. Hey. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. No problem. I love doing this. Good. Good. Um, so how have you been? Well, things have been weird the last few weeks. Trying to adjust to a sort of a new reality where uh, everyone is stuck home. Now, is that a reality that you're adjusting to? Yeah, because uh, I've always sort of felt isolated the last few years, and now I kind of feel that everyone is isolated. So you're saying that you isolated, and now everybody's doing what you were doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't think everyone's copying me. I just think that uh, now society requires everyone to be isolated. Oh, that's so funny. I was expecting you to say something completely opposite, but I completely understand what you're saying, and I feel kind of the same, as if you're speaking for me. <laughs> you're speaking my truth, too. I thought you were, you were, you were out, though. I, mean, I, I am out. I, I, I work as a paramedic, so I'm, I'm kind of sort of in my own world. Uh, it's usually me and someone I hardly know working in an ambulance together for 12 to 14 hours at a time, uh, transporting patients, some critical, some not so critical, uh, wherever they need to go. And so this happens uh, on a 24-hour basis. So sometimes I'm working daytimes and sometimes I'm working nighttimes. And... It, it, I never know what day of the week it is, and uh, it, it feels isolating to me because I never see anyone on a normal basis. And now uh, everyone I know who's not doing emergency medical services is now apparently isolated at home, and they don't know what day it is. So I, I kind of feel like everyone's on the same page now. Did you just say that all people doing emergency services are isolated right now? Or you mean they're isolated when they get home, as in to not spread it? I mean, uh, we're kind of stuck in a, you know, at work uh, because it's a 24-7 thing and we're not, we have these long shifts. And now you know, many of us are stuck working a lot of the time because uh, society requires it. The emergency rooms are that busy. Uh, so we don't really get the time off that we're used to. And some of us work multiple jobs. So we don't get to participate in weekends and holidays. Often we have to work on weekends and holidays. So you don't really get to participate in things that other people participate in. 
And when you say weekends and holidays, you mean in general, not specific to just now? Correct. Yeah, so now it's even extra. Yeah. But it, it seems like it's a different isolation. It's a busy isolation, an even busier isolation. Yeah, it's it's a busier isolation, and it's a little weirder, too, because uh, nobody is out. There's, no, like, no traffic. Restaurants are closed. If we didn't bring food with us, we end up not eating for the shift because there's nowhere to go. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's some takeout, but even a lot of takeout places are closed. Oh, wow. I actually, uh, I was under the impression that things were still, like the restaurants were still open, you could still order things on Grubhub, and that there were some places that were specifically uh, making food available to emergency workers. Have you been able to find Not me personally, because, I, I, because I'm in an ambulance, I'm always moving. Yeah. So I, I kind of... I get stuck in certain situations in certain neighborhoods that may not have as many things open as other places. I, I find that things are like I'm in, I'm around Elmhurst Hospital a lot, which oh. has become COVID central, and things around that hospital are closed. Or so, uh, they're all closed. But if I'm around New York Presby, which is in Manhattan, there are things that are open over there. So, so depending on the neighbor, depending on the neighborhood, things change quite quite drastically. Is there anything that people can do to help? Uh, just isolating. That that's really all people can do. So just kind of staying out, like staying out of it. Just stay out of it. Stay safe, and don't get sick, so that you have to come and deal with them or help them. Yeah. Yeah, it, it helps a lot. Uh, yes, for the obvious reason, is it stops the spread of, of the disease, but also there's, like, no traffic on the roads. So for me, I'm able to get places quickly with critical patients currently because I've been transporting a lot of critical patients uh, because certain hospitals are very busy and other places are still busy but less busy so i i often have to change where patients go just because of where room is so i'm able to do so very quickly because there's no traffic is changing where they go based on what it is uh normal or is it specific to now well there's normal amount of time where things are busy new york city hospitals are always busy and so critical patients often have to go to different hospitals. But now that things are, are more COVID-related, uh, patients might have to go to where they have more ventilators or more space. So it's just more COVID-related. Uh, so before, like someone would have a heart attack and they'd end up at the closest hospital and that hospital doesn't do cardiac surgery, so I would have to take that patient to a hospital that does cardiac surgery. 
now I'm taking patients uh, from one hospital to another because of room or space, you know, where they have space. So, so, meaning not just somebody that specializes in cardiac surgery, but cardiac surgery and space or just space? Usually just space. And speaking of, um, normally I heard recently, you know, about cardiac patients, um, how now if you can't get a pulse in the ambulance and then you, uh, that you should bring them to the hospital. Is that something that you're actually hearing out there? Is that really happening? Yeah, that, that's really happening, but I don't know that it really has gone into practice yet. Uh, so what, what, what you're talking about is that uh, advanced ambulances, paramedics, are able to start IVs and push drugs and do uh, electrical therapy, you know, shocking patients. We can do all of that in certain ambulances, but not all ambulances. So if we do all of this advanced stuff on scene, and we're not able to get the patient uh, to have a heartbeat again, we would have the ability to pronounce them dead on scene because the emergency rooms don't have the room to do these calls anymore. And it's unlikely that they would have any better luck than we did. We're basically doing the same thing. And is it normal for you to do the pronouncing, or or is that also atypical and specific to something in the new normal? It, it's it's actually not new. Okay. Uh, the Amer uh, the American Heart Association, the people who set the rules for doing uh, advanced life support, have been trying to do this for years because it is the theory that you can't really do effective CPR in a moving ambulance. So they're trying to cut out doing CPR in a moving ambulance completely. Uh, and many places outside of New York City already had that protocol prior to COVID. So New York City is adopting it because of COVID. Uh, is what it because of COVID? They're, they've adopted the, the pro, that protocol because of COVID, but other places were already doing that prior to COVID. Doing the the pronouncing them dead on the scene due to a lack of yes. or when they have the advanced life support, but can't get correct. Them. Okay, so it's just now it's happening here. Correct. And it hasn't happened yet, but. It's looking like it's going to happen. And how often do you find that somebody in that situation for you, you can't get a pulse, but then they go to the hospital and get a pulse anyway? Or is it a futile attempt most of the time? Most of the time it's futile. Okay. So because these, sorry, go on. We get, if we get there and we feel the situation is viable, meaning that they just went into cardiac arrest, we work it up, and after 20 minutes, if we can't get them back, it's unlikely that they're going to come back. And as some people have already thought that transporting them is useless because it, it puts a lot of other people in danger 
for us to transport him life and sirens to the hospital and then have the ER work, try and work it because the numbers don't look that good anyway. To have them die if at the we hospital? Get, I'm sorry, go on. You know, if, if we can't get them back on scene, it's unlikely the hospital is going to get them back. In which case the numbers would look bad because they died at the hospital rather than in the ambulance? Is that what you meant by the numbers? Uh, yeah, I mean, the numbers don't look great. Once we've been on scene for 20 minutes, things don't get better at the hospital. Um, and have you recently seen like FDNY clapping for Elmhurst Hospital workers? Were you there for any of that? I, I haven't been where I've seen the clapping, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been going on. I, I'm usually busy. <laughs> Fair enough. So are you in downtime now? Are you home resting? Uh, today, I, today I had a, a day off. But for the next eight days, I'll be at work. The next eight days? Yeah. And are those hours insane? Well, a normal shift is 12 hours. And the next week, I'm scheduled to be at work for 12 hours at a time. But I expect to be there at 14 or 15 hours. Wow. And... You and that's a mix of day and night, so it could be any kind of. Yeah. Wow. Where will you? Oh, sorry. Uh, four of those days will be based in the Bronx, and three of those days will be in upstate New York at West Point, uh, the Army College. Um, I haven't heard anything about West Point that I can recall. Is that um, what's or is that one of the field hospitals? No, West Point has uh, a little community hospital that purposely serves the Army. So they have civilian paramedics who do 911 on the college campus. So I uh, work for a company that has that contract. So three days a week, I find myself up at West Point. Wow. And and that's one of the places that you're also seeing uh, a lot of COVID or incidents of COVID? Uh, or is it I different see there? Some, it's different there. Uh, a lot of the patients up there are a lot younger and healthier, uh-huh. especially if they're a cadet. But because people are from all over the country and they tend to come in from overseas, for military bases, there is COVID there. They just aren't as sick. Because of their immunity? Yeah, they're younger. They tend not to have major health issues, especially if they're in the Army, because they tend to be physically fit. But it exists there. And we also deal with some veterans. So we get some serious stuff in there from older people. Oh, like uh, serious as in heart stuff or like? Uh, Heart stuff, some strokes, uh, some serious respiratory failure. 
and usually we'll we'll transfer it out to a, a major hospital. The Army Hospital doesn't handle uh, stuff serious stuff on at the hospital. They they don't have an ICU, so anything that requires an ICU gets transferred out. Okay, and that makes sense. Um, now, how many like um, how many do you think natural deaths we're seeing in the news are actually COVID and not being tested or being missed? I, I'm not really sure uh, because a lot of the deaths are COVID related, uh, but. Uh, I, those numbers don't come through me, so it's hard for me to make an accurate judgment. Fair enough. <laughs> and um, have you seen a lot of people uh, not testing positive but having all the symptoms? And then, or are you seeing, is everybody that is being, uh, like if it's COVID, have they tested it or are they just saying this is clearly COVID based on all of the symptoms? And what is the reoccurrence? Are you seeing a reoccurrence? I, I, I haven't really seen a reoccurrence. Uh, most of the people coming into the hospital are coming in for respiratory failure. And it's assumed to be COVID until proven otherwise. And it takes a while, right? So by the time you it know does. The test isn't immediate. And I think some of the tests take uh, a few days. Some of them are, are faster than that. So depending on who's doing the testing, I, I'm usually not around for that. But I am transferring people who have already tested positive, so they've been there for a couple days. And uh, a lot of the emergency rooms are just getting people who are just going into respiratory failure. It's assumed that they have COVID. And, uh, uh, you know, we, because we're getting so many COVID patients at once, uh, we just assume it to be this because of the spread. And I, I read a post for you and it said, it was early on in March, I think you said something like there were, I was on the floor and there were 10 people on respirators. You might not think it's a lot, but it's a lot. Yeah, I, I happen to have been at uh, the ICU floor at Bellevue Hospital, which is uh, on the east side of Manhattan at 30th Street. Their ICU patients, generally, a lot of them are not innovated. And now every room they had on that day was an innovated patient. So you might see two or three innovative patients, and they had 10 in a row. And that, it's a lot. And every room was uh, isolation because they had all tested positive for COVID. So it's just changing how the, the hospital operated. They had moved a lot of non-COVID patients off that floor to, to stop the spread. And they started uh, doing something weird. Uh, all the patients get IV medications, and normally you put that right next to the patient. They were setting up the IV fluids outside of the room, 
and pumping it into the room over a lot of lengthy tubes so that the nursing staff would not have to enter the room to take care of the medication. I've never seen that before. No. That is interesting. So, but somebody has put in an IV, right? Right. Well, a lot of the staff have PPE. Uh, we've had to reuse some of that. But, you know, they go in, they treat the patient as they need to. But once everything is set up, they try and minimize uh, having to touch the patient. So that they don't have to waste PPE treating the patient. Things they could do away from the patient for more than six feet, they'd rather do that than waste PPE because we're short on it. So the patients aren't getting like almost any contact. Uh, well, they try and reduce it. Once all the major things are done, they set up a way to treat the patient from a distance. If you have to go into the room and do something, you have to go in the room and do something. But you keep it to a minimum. And are most of the people responsive, able to talk, or is the breathing making it almost impossible for them to... to... Well, once they get intubated, they're being sedated. That's some of the medications that they receive. Because having a breathing tube is extremely uncomfortable. So at that point, they are just being kept alive by machines and asleep for their comfort. Yeah. And are people coming out of that? How long? I know that they're staying on there longer, but are, are you seeing a lot of people coming out of that, or is it grim? I, I, some of the doctors seem to indicate that not a lot of people are coming out of that, but I'm not really involved in the long-term care situation. I'm usually taking them from point A to point B, so my uh, dealing with people being discharged is limited to people who aren't that serious. A lot of the people I am taking home from the hospital, I do take people home, they didn't get it as bad. Usually they were not intubated. Take the same person that you took their home, right? Like it would just be... I, I, what, in what situation would you take someone home? Is it the same person that you brought there? Uh, I get dispatched to hospitals based on when they call. So sometimes I get some of the same people, but most of the time I don't. So if I take a, a, a person from one hospital to another who's intubated, I may never see that person again. Right. And... Do you normally take hosp uh, patients home? Is the reason that you're taking them home so that they are not exposed to, like, taxi drivers or relatives? Yes, I've done that. Uh, a lot of times I, I've, I've taken a bunch of COVID patients home uh, in part for isolation or in part because they're not able to walk. Public transportation? But most of the time, I'm taking home people who, who are not ambulatory. And that's specific to COVID or in general, but more so? In general. Oh, okay. More so, yeah. So there are, you are taking more people home now because of all of that. But in general, it's people who cannot 
walk or might expose. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I hadn't. I wasn't aware that an ambulance could take someone home. I, I knew that you took an ambulance from wherever there was an incident away. I never knew that they gave you a ride back. We do give people rides home. The the when we do that, they have to be non-ambulatory. And a lot of times, and this is a New York City thing, people live in walk-up apartments, and if they can't walk up the stairs, uh, which is a lot of elderly people, they might be able to walk you know, on a flat surface. We'll get sent to take them home and carry them up four or five flights. Wow, walk-up. So I've done real estate and complained about when there's like a flight of stairs, I can't even imagine what it's like for you with walk-ups. And then you're, how, I mean, are the gurneys able to do like the three wheel thing and it's not as difficult or is it heavy and, and difficult to do that? With people, like the weight of a body. Uh, well, we transfer them into a chair. Chair. Usually. Uh, and it, it can be difficult. Uh, some of the patients, when they start getting over 200 pounds, it becomes very difficult. Uh, and it depends on the stairwell. Uh, if we're able to go up like uh, and, and rest in between the flights, it's very easy. When we have to go, when you get one of those flights, it, it could be three or four flights straight up. Like, uh, did, are you familiar with the Reckless Theater? I should know this, but I think I don't. Where was uh, it? In well, they, they, no, it was, in, it was in Manhattan on 29th Street and 10th. They had they were on like the third floor. They had like three flights of stairs that were just straight up. We get some apartments that are, you know, you get like three stories. It's just straight up flight. There's like no rest and no landings. So that becomes extremely difficult. Oh, meaning like the doors are to the side and it's just somehow stairs, like. Yeah, there's no landings. It's like you you you'll do two flights at once because there's there's no landings. Oh wow. And so you have nowhere to put them down. You have to somehow figure out how to get them up without resting. When you go to places, do you kind of like look at the stairs uh, and, and and imagine if you had to? Yeah. Well. I, I've given up certain jobs just because it was too difficult. I stopped working in Yonkers because it was too difficult. Because it's mostly walk-ups? Yeah. Wow. I wouldn't... I, 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 could, I mean, I only know one person that ever lived in Yonkers, and it was a basement apartment, so there was no... I think it would all have... It wouldn't, there would have been no stairs there, but I don't know what the rest of the building looked like. Yeah, there's a lot of stair chairs jobs in Yonkers and Mount Vernon and the Bronx and Astoria. Astoria has a lot of stair chair jobs. Wow. But Astoria tends to be one or two stories. Upper Manhattan and the Bronx, it could be multiple flights. Wow. I do remember a, a house that I lived in in the Bronx, and it did have multiple. It, it even had like a, an attic that you could live in. So that's a lot of 
stairs, I think, if you had to do any of that. Well, actually, you wouldn't have to because you would have gone up, like, I guess three flights of stairs, including an attic. I don't know. That is kind of a lot. How, was there a moment for you in all of this where you were, where it changed for you from, like, okay, normal day at work to something's really happening here? Yeah, about two days ago. Really? Uh, yeah. I uh, I walked into uh, Queens Hospital out in Jamaica in their emergency room. I got sent to pick up a patient who was intubated, and they had multiple medications running. And it took three hours before I could get to the patient because they were working multiple cardiac arrests in the very same room. Is that normal to have multiple cardiac arrests in the same room? No. And are those were all COVID cardiac arrests? Yeah, they were all COVID. Uh, the room had three patients in it, my patient in the corner, two patients in cardiac arrest. And while we were waiting, uh, a third patient came in from an ambulance, a basic ambulance, that was in cardiac arrest, and they worked out in the hallway in front of our room. And we had to wait until they were all done with that before we could get into the room. And at that point, were you able to take the patient to where they needed to go? I was. And that patient was unstable. And it is unusual for me to take an unstable patient outside of the emergency room. Uh, but the emergency room was so overburdened that that was the safer choice. It was better for me to treat the patient while transporting than it was for the emergency room to keep the patient. Where did you have to take them? They were being sent to Jacoby in the Bronx from Queens in Jamaica, which is very unusual that's, because that's Jacoby had open ICU space. And this is, wow. And it's, I wouldn't imagine that it would be safer to, you know, leave somebody in, in a, and how are you, you're protecting, are, I've seen images or videos of people putting on their protective layers, but I also saw a picture of you and it didn't look, it looked like your yellow thing was ripped. Uh, that was after a call, yeah. Uh, I, I was trying to take off stuff at that time and part of it ripped and my partner wanted to take a picture of me because I, I looked exhausted so it was partially ripped off at that point and uh, just after that picture I ripped the rest of it off okay and then changed into something that was yeah okay <laughs> we, we had we, we had just left the COVID ward we were standing right outside of it and I had already removed some of the stuff that I had been wearing oh. and part of it already tore. Okay, good. And that, that all makes sense. Cause when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, are you okay? Are you properly, I mean, you're wearing the shields and everything, right? Is that part of it? Is that? Yeah, I was, I, I was, I was wearing goggles, a mask, gloves, and a torn uh, gown at the, when that picture was taken. Yeah. Wow. I, I thought the the moment for you was the in, the in all the in 
I don't know what it is. The oh my god, why am I blanking? Sorry. When you, that moment that you posted, the <laughs> ten might not seem like a lot, but it is. But for you, it was even more recent than that when it clicked, or you know. That was when it was starting to click. Uh, that something normal was not going on there, because uh, they had changed all the units at Bellevue in such a way that. I ended up on the 10th floor with a patient because I was told they were going to an ICU. And when I got to the 10th floor, it was not normal because they made it into a COVID ICU. And they had moved the patient up to the 11th floor, but no one told me that they changed units. So things started to get weird. And then... and I, I happened to notice that every room was different because they set up all the poles outside of the room. And then uh, later that day, I ended up in a different emergency room, Lincoln Emergency Room. And they had an area of the ER that has 15 beds, and 10 of those beds also had intubated patients in it. And uh, that was one moment where things started to click. And then two days ago was pretty significant for me to watch the ER working three cardiac arrests at once because I, I, you start to realize how, how bleak things are. You know, because these patients are not getting better. They're, they're dropping like flies. How are you, um, like, staying sane in all of this? Um, there's a part of me that just separates from it. Uh, I, 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 I've been around cardiac arrest before. I've dealt with very serious calls before. So part of me is sort of immune to it. It seems almost distant. Uh, but uh, one of those cardiac arrests at the hospital happened to be the mother of someone who worked at a different company, an EMT, who was there, and that made me cry a little bit. Because it, you identified that that could, on some level, be your own mom or that it's real. Yeah, yeah. That as much as you're trying to distance it, it's still close. Yeah, it still affected me. Is that the? So, oh, sorry, go on. Uh, no, that was that was done. So, is that the the closest person to? Is that the closest to somebody you personally know succumbing? To? No, maybe. I, I'm not really sure how to answer that. You don't want to talk about it. That's fine. Uh, I've known. Other people, but it hasn't. Uh, it didn't affect me like that. I don't know why. Uh, I think. Uh, well, a long time ago, when I was around uh, 21, I had been an EMT, and I responded to a car accident where the driver died, and that driver had gone to my high school. I didn't know the kid, but. That affected me a bit because he snuck out of his house to go to a party and he didn't tell his parents. And his parents found out after he died 
and he snuck out. And was he around the same age as you, or was, was he in high school then? He, he was in high school then. He was three years younger. I didn't know him. Was it drunk driving? That affected, Sorry, go ahead. It was drunk driving, yeah. So underage. Also that affected, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That, that felt kind of real to me. Because it was somebody that could have been your friend just three years prior. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, you, you mentioned that this was somebody's mother. How is your mother doing in all this? Uh, my mom is in Florida. She is, she's had a she's had a cold for a month. They've gotten tested for COVID. It's negative. Uh, and they're staying home. They're taking it seriously. Like I, I and I made sure that they did. So now she's tested negative. That means that she in most likely never had it. Right. Right. They're, right. Their their illness started before it even got to the United States. So they've had some some minor illness for a while, and so you know obviously they should take it seriously because they don't I don't want them getting it. Yeah, definitely. What part of Florida? They live in West Palm Beach. Oh, okay. That sounds nice. Do you visit them often? No, I don't get I don't get down there much. I'm not not in the last year. Well. But I, I was planning to take a vacation until this happened. Oh, no. And now and now I won't go down there. Like won't. Because I'm I, I won't go down there because I'm exposed. Yeah, so you're a risk at this point. So I, I won't I don't want to expose my parents until I've had a couple weeks away from COVID. Yeah. How do you oh man. So how long before was the vacation planned? Like, was it booked or just kind of planned? Just kind of planned. Okay. I hadn't booked anything yet. I was going to take off for one weekend, uh, you know, sometime in April. And it hadn't been booked yet. And then this happened. And uh, since I primarily transfer COVID patients now, I just can't, I can't risk getting them infected. Now, if you were to isolate, would you do it at home, or would you, like, take up a hotel closer to them, self-isolate for two weeks? Like, what would the safest way to visit your family at this point be? Well, I, I live alone, so there would be no point in uh, getting a hotel room. I just isolate at home for two weeks. Yeah. I'm just, it's also, like, crazy, because it's like, okay, so you've isolated, then could you get it on the way there at the airport or whatever? And it's like, how... How, um, I don't know, how hot potato is this? How easily transmitted? Because we're hearing different things, you know. At one point, it was like you had to basically, you know, snort lines of it with your eyeballs and then rub it on your gums. And now it's like supposedly just in the air or even, um, you know, 27 feet is instead of six feet. Like the sneeze could reach people. How easy? Yeah, I mean, it must be pretty easy because it's, it's Everyone at the ER is pretty much had that. That's what's overwhelming the ER. So I'm assuming it's pretty easy to transmit. I mean, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a lawyer in New Rochelle. He went to a bar mitzvah, and then 20 people had it. Wow. So it, it, it can't be that difficult to transmit. You have to assume it to be pretty easy. 
That is nuts. And is there any truth to once you have it, you're immune? Uh, I, I, I'm not putting any, I, I would assume that to be false. Fair. Just till, just till I have enough time to study it. Yeah. But I, I'm not really an expert in immunology. You know, my friend was telling me that his doctor said that, and I, that seemed so reckless, especially when my friend was sick one day, then not sick, and then sick again. Um, and, and I have also heard that people who have it, even if it doesn't affect them that bad, they're, or, or if they're not that sick or if they don't die, they'll still have lasting respiratory effects for their life. I'm not sure how true anything is because, you know, we don't have long-term studies on it. It's all very new, but do you know anything about any of that? Not much, but I, I'm not, I haven't done any research into it, and I don't know where the scientists are on it yet, so I'm going to hold on saying anything until we know more. Totally fair, especially since it's so new. How do you feel, are you on, are you seeing people saying that this is a hoax or any of that? Like, are you reading or on social media dealing with any of that? Uh, I, I, I haven't seen, I, I deal with Trump supporters frequently online and none of them put that forward really. I, I think it's pretty accepted at this point in time that it's not a hoax. Okay. So but you... I could, I could, I could be wrong, but nobody seems to be putting that forward to me. Fair enough. What about the people who seem to, are you noticing people who seem to think they can't get it or they don't need to protect themselves or any of that blind? No, not, no, I, I think everyone I know is mostly in the New York City area and they generally seem to get that it's a very serious situation. Yeah. Uh, the, the people who aren't in New York maybe don't get that. Uh my parents, who oddly they are Trump supporters, they seem to get that it's very serious, and they they take it seriously. Did they the whole time, or was there a moment where they were like, "Okay, we now think it's a thing"? I, I they they always seem to take it seriously. I I, I don't understand why my parents are Trump supporters. <laughs> Because uh, they don't really push the conspiracy theory aspect of, of what we generally affiliate with with Trump supporters, mm -hmm. but they just they just seem to like him. Wow! Even still, yeah, because they don't trust the media. I think I think it's a general distrust in media and the government, mm -hmm. and they're not quite really able to specify what it is exactly they just they I, I think my parents when Obamacare came around they started paying a lot more for health insurance mm -hmm. and and since then I think they're more anti-Obama based on health insurance than anything else yeah. because everything with them comes back to the health insurance because their costs like doubled so they got upset. I, I, I thought it was a good thing. I thought it helped people, but I hear that it didn't. I, 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 it it helped a lot of people. 
Yeah. Uh, but if you were someone, uh, and like the middle class, upper middle class, who sort of paid for your own health insurance to begin with because you may have been self-employed or a small business owner, you ended up paying a lot more for like luxury plans. So people who already had health insurance and paid for it had to pay a lot more for it. And a lot of people who didn't have health insurance now got sort of financed by the government. So they they kind of got the uh, wrong side of the thing. So for them, they got upset. They didn't quite understand why they were paying so much. Okay, that all makes sense. Yeah, it definitely insured people who are uninsured, but I could see how that would hurt people who were already doing it, having to then spend more to do it. You know, with them, they always go back to that argument. With other people, this seems to be very uh, conspiratorial for some reason. There's always a conspiracy theory. My parents really aren't into the conspiracy theory aspect. They're into cause they're paying more for Obamacare. So. No. I'm sorry, go on. No, that was it. Okay, so you said conspiracy theory. Are there any uh, that you've heard that tickle you or that you think maybe there's something to this or you just find it interesting to talk about? I always find it interesting that uh, there there's these general notions of the government is out to get us. It's always been sort of a right-wing uh talking point about we're buying guns because you might have to overthrow the government and they're buying guns now because of, the, of this to overthrow the government they don't trust the government even though they support donald trump fully and he's the president they still don't trust the government yeah it's, and it never makes sense it's kind of like a girl who only dates terrible men not trusting any man is my guess i don't know because well, the hour stockpile thing, like, I wouldn't trust the government. But then again, I wouldn't support the person who's responsible for something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've always found it interesting uh, that the people who support the cops and the military are the same people who want to overthrow the government. Yeah. But they're so like they're just so full of contradictions and hypocrisy, just as a as a mode. I don't know. Anyway, are there? I, any I know. Sorry, go on. Uh, I'm done. No, no. What were you gonna say? Oh, okay. uh, yeah. I just found that contradiction uh, funny. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the the gymnastics, the mental gymnastics that they'll do to just to have their narrative work like i don't i don't know anyway just all the <laughs> conspiracies and the gymnastics and the whatnot anyway is there anything that you are able to plug right now or that you're doing that you want to let people know about or any uh even resources that people should know about there's nothing that i'm personally plugging right now because uh everything kind of changed on us yeah but I'm 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 always want to make sure that people reach out and connect with their friends and other people because in a time like this, 
uh, you know, everyone is kind of isolated. And we don't want to get caught in our own little worlds. And uh, we want to make sure all our friends and our family are, are doing well. And make sure we, we talk to other people. Have you been reaching out more to people lately? Or I, mean, like, so I have. Like, I have. Uh, go on. <laughs> Remotely. I call. I I have been texting and calling people I haven't spoken to in a couple of years more frequently now. I, I email people a lot. I uh, just to check in and make sure they're doing well. Yeah, and they. We could, it's easy to get sort of caught up in our own world and and we, you know think uh, the world is over for us. And, get into sort of depressive moods. And uh, I just want to make sure people don't contemplate suicide and whatnot. Yeah, with all the time they have on their hands and the isolation and no one, no reasonable voice to bounce off the idea and be like, no, just like take a shower and masturbate or something. You'll be fine. Yeah. Not that that's always yeah. the solution, but sometimes it helps to hear. I do want yeah, to... And then, Sorry. It's helpful to reach out to people. It is. I do want to uh, let people know that at Radio Free Brooklyn, we always welcome new neighbors. Dashi, a new American restaurant and cafe specializing in Japanese and Asian comfort foods, has just opened at 111 Ingram Street, which is only a few blocks from the Morgan L stop. They've got great dishes, noodles, rice, small plates, and salads. And if you want a hamburger or BLT, they've got that too. They're open every day, most days, from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And you can order online from Grubhub, Postmates, or DoorDash. Door, door Check them out at dashibrooklyn.com. And uh, welcome them to the hood. Let them know that RFB sent you. Do check if those times are correct, but it is D-A-S-H-I-B-R-O-O-K-L-N. Wait. No. L-Y-N.com. Don't mind me. Okay, guys, this is a mouthful. Friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still going and doing their best to continue bringing you new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their homes, studios, or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of past shows. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way toward helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. There, you'll find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'd like to send you to say thank you. You can also use your phone to text RFB Give 5, that's RFB G-I-V-E 5 to 44321, and it only takes a moment, and you'll be able to use a digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com slash smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to RFB, and it will cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish you, our listeners, health and happiness as we weather this storm together. We do have app 
apps. So do go to your uh, Google Play Store or App Store to get that. And you can also check out our newsletter at uh, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. And uh, again, you're listening to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. So I did all the copy. Now we can chat again. Is there a song that you want to go out on for this episode? Uh, yeah, uh, Use Me by Bill Weathers. Fantastic. I played Stacy's mom at the top, but we'll totally do that. That makes sense, and it's perfect. You said Use Me, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of on the same, I guess, vibe with that. <sighs> how, how are you taking all the celebrities we're losing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. Uh, when we lost Bill Withers, when we lost Kenny Rogers, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name from the group. Um, you don't mean from, uh, Stacy's mom? From, from yeah, Hans yeah. of Wayne? Yes. Yeah, that guy. Um, oh my god, I knew his name earlier. I, I actually played Stacy's mom at the top of this episode, so it does make sense that we are playing this now. It is low in the background, you're not able to hear it, but our listeners at home might be able to hear a slight bit of something. Was that what you were looking for? Is what, what I was looking for. Is the conversation good? Yeah. I mean, we're still going. We've got about five oh. or more uh, minutes left of this episode. I just wanted to make sure that I got, I got the, uh, the copy done. It's important. I, I, yeah, I wanted to make sure I check in and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you were able to do this when you weren't able to do this originally. I was like so sad, but uh, I think this was, I hope it was informative because I'm personally dealing with people who do not believe that it exists and I don't understand what the thought process I, is. I don't, how, how do they not under, how do they not believe this is going on? I'm not sure. I, I mean, some of them are just straight up, it's a hoax and it's a PR stunt. I, I, I still see this, even today on some people. Other people are saying that it's like through 5G towers are doing it and it's all like a conspiracy. Then there's, you know, the people who are like that guy that was running the train into the boat. You know, he knows something and it's like, but he ran a train into a boat. I don't doesn't make sense um and then i've got just people who aren't going out and protecting themselves or doesn't you know because they don't think that they can get it they're young they're healthy they're safe and everything's going to be fine um then there's the people that i don't think they understand how germs work so they'll kind of social isolate in groups of friends and then go social isolate with other people and it's like that's not social isolating that's just socializing in like an apartment or home yeah, I, 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 I used to be uh, like a liberal Republican, and what changed me was that on 9/11, you know, like I started dealing with conspiracy theorists on 9/12, and no one believed that that happened, 
And the more I dealt with conspiracy theories, the more I realized how scientifically illiterate people were. And that started moving me to becoming more... I don't know that my political beliefs changed so much as much as I, I, I just couldn't associate with the stupidity anymore. Where were you getting the conspiracy theories? Like, was it MySpace then? Chat rooms? Uh, well, they, they had like straight up forums and chat rooms. And I found my way into the James Randi Educational Forum. Uh, James Randi was a magician and a skeptic. <laughs> uh, so and I started like talking in that sort of skeptics world. And it, I, I, as I became more, I, I got really into the 9-11 conspiracy theories and debunking them. And you, you began to hear all the circle talk that came with conspiracy theories. Like once you disproved one thing, they would talk about the second thing. And as soon as you disproved the second thing, they went back to the first thing. And you couldn't get beyond those two or three things. So, they, they, they were just a, a, stuck with like the government is lying. The government lying and there being a conspiracy theory are two different things. They can both be, the government lies all the time. That doesn't mean they did it. So was it like a snake eating its own tail was their argument? Like circular logic? Like once you would prove something wrong, they'd what about something else? And then it would just be a circle? But yeah. Yeah, they would they would go from building seven to uh, drones to uh, back to building seven, and they're blowing up the evidence. And I'm like, if they could blow up the evidence, why can't they just hide the evidence? What you know, if if we're going to Iraq for oil, how come they didn't get any oil? As we, as soon as we got further and further along, and what they said didn't happen. They, they, they kept resorting back to the stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've also argued with trolls, so I know the circles you speak of. Brian, thank you so much for doing this episode. Uh, thank you all for listening, if you are. And uh, we'll see you here next week. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. When you love me